this is The Huddle. You've got a former college athlete, a professional athlete trainer, and a sports nerd who says some words. Spend their Friday afternoon talking all things sports. Welcome to the show. All right. Welcome back to a very special Tuesday edition of The Huddle. We are live in the basement of an undisclosed location near Market Street Studios. Uh, looking at our crowd on Facebook here, I promise I will not give you the uh, Sharon Stone basic instinct <laughs> here in a moment. Uh, guys, I am your host, Spencer Huddleston, and in addition to some of our technical adjustments this week, uh, we are also working on a on a short prep week. So thank you both for, uh, for joining. Brad, you are a known Jedi master of planning and preparation. So how do you get ready on a short week of prep? Uh, it actually was a good setup for me today. I'm a, I got an at-home uh, morning on Tuesdays, so I'm actually coming in a little more fresh than normal. Okay, all right. Yeah. Cock, lock, ready to rock. Greg, do you ever have any stories on the road of uh, short weeks at the University of Louisville? I think uh, I've told you before, we were pioneers and trendsetters in the Schnellenberger days of the Wednesday and Thursday um, games before anybody else wanted to break tradition and, and routine and schedule. So, yeah, we had a couple of Sunday turnaround, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, or Saturday turnaround, Wednesday, Thursday games. Uh, so certainly, uh, certainly used to the short week. There you go. Well, we're going to do our best to, to power through our short week here this week. Uh, we are again live from an, an undisclosed bunker location. Is this, is this considered a <laughs> lair, an uh, underground uh, lair? Uh, I, I know they're wondering. They're, uh, <laughs> all right. So we're at uh, CS McCullough's. Thanks to Randy Almazor uh, for letting us come hang out in his. Uh, what, what, what do they call this room? A, a relaxation room, a, a ready room. I, I think those are the, the PG terms that we came up with. It's like we call it an underground layer. That's it. With yeah. air quotes. We're next to a, a barber shop and a, and a massage parlor, so we can really get the works after we get done with that. A our bourbon themed room. <laughs> nice uh, 60s slash 70s vinyl uh, console to play some 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 fine music here in the show break it's a sweet spot and definitely a, a great place to talk some sports here today on the huddle uh guys we're gonna start with uh the national league championship series uh god gave the city of atlanta incredible chicken and the music and film career of ludicrous but unfortunately <laughs> it's taken away all of their sports happiness brad what happened to your braves Oh, man, they got a, a case of the Falcons, I think. Uh, you, you know, I was planning on picking up, watching baseball again. My Braves, the, we talked about the great teams of the 90s that we enjoyed watching. I was ready to do it this week, and nope. Nope, and they're out. Yep, so, um, yeah, it looks like they're the new Cleveland, basically. Just that quick, too, Greg. Did you see anything in that game that the Braves could have turned it around? Now, I, here's what I found interesting is again all the brave success and how how uh, how short they've come in the in the uh, especially when you get to a World Series. Fourteen times appeared in the World Series in their history. This is going back to the Boston and Milwaukee Braves, and have uh, have only won two. Wow! The last one, the last one being the uh, 1995. And we talked a lot about before the show how the city of Atlanta may have taken the mantle of just dejected sports fan from Cleveland. You know, a lot of the argument for Cleveland is that it's a cold city to live in. It's in the Midwest. People aren't visiting it as often. Greg, do you think that Atlanta has now become the, the basement for sports fandom? 
I think that's a that's one that is is recent memory, but I, I don't think you can I don't think Cleveland can be topped. And I've got one more city <laughs> outside of those two for you, but Cleveland. When you think um, all the heartache in the in the '80s, in the the Bernie Kosar years, and the Ernest Biner fumble against Denver on the goal line, uh, Vinny Testaverde going in there, um, having a little bit of playoff success in the '80s. You go back to 1964 with Jim Brown is their their last football championship. Um, so I think you go out and you play off the Indians. You know, there are a couple of World Series appearances. They haven't had a World Series title since 1948. Yeah. The Cleveland Cavs only got one title out of LeBron with, what, uh, six or seven appearances. Uh, so Cleveland, of, of those two, I still think that's uh, – Cleveland still has that mantle. How would you like to be the Buffalo Bills still? <laughs> four straight Super Bowl appearances. That's all. No all, wins. All four losses. And I think that's where Atlanta fans have to be so frustrated because it's one thing to be a hapless, you know, completely valueless sports organization. But I feel like these Atlanta teams have been close to being dominant. Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, like they were incredible in the Super Bowl. And then they just continually find ways to fall apart. And, and Spence, I'll give you another uh, – Sports town that's struggling right now is uh, Houston. You know, we, we had a coaching change just recently and a GM change with the Rockets. You've obviously got the recent loss of the Astros last week, plus the scandal they went through, and then your Texans are 1-5. and five, So that's another town that's struggling right now. That's it, another one that's in the basement. Uh, you know, I think for me, the times that you spend in the bottom of the league as a sports fan are supposed to validate – when you get back to the top, but you got to get back to the top for that to happen, right? Greg, did you ever have any experiences being in the basement, the doldrums as a fan? I tell you, my two outside of the Louisville Cardinals, uh, my my biggest sports teams are the St. Louis Cardinals in baseball and the Chicago Bears in football. So I deal with a little bit of that on the, the Bears side of things, you know, um, outside of their uh, 2006 Super Bowl when Peyton Manning beat uh, Rex Grossman in the Super Bowl. <laughs> Um, you know, I go back to 1985 until we were really, truly relevant. Um, so you know, you're looking at, you know, 25 plus years there of, uh, of Bears struggles, um, being a fan of, uh, of the team on the, the North Shore of Chicago. It's been a decade for Vols fans, Brad. Are you, are you there right now? Do we feel like Tennessee is in that basement right now? It was looking upward and then after last week, 34 <laughs> to 7. Goodness gracious. First time. The UK Wildcats beat UT in Knoxville since 1984. Yeah, so, say since I've been alive. 1984, and that's a hapless. Uh, you know, as we talked about, that's a that's a hapless team that looked completely lost out there. Uh, I'm sure that we'll get into more about the Tennessee Volunteers as we move into the college weekend. Uh, but guys, let's talk a little bit about our favorite soap opera, our favorite reality show every week, uh, the NFL. And, of course, we're going to start with the Tennessee Titans. Unbelievable week again for them. Uh, Brad, we talked about the rally for Romeo. It almost happened. <laughs> but the Titans pulled it out. What did you see there? I saw a, a beast of a man just take control of a game. And uh, it was some performance. I, I haven't been that excited at the end of a game in a long time. Mike Rabel, right? <laughs> <laughs> Talking about Derrick Henry, believe it or not. Uh but uh, it was funny. You you watch 
uh, Deshaun Watson. They lose that coin toss, and he's just deflated. He's like, I know what's about to happen. You you referenced the Vrabel thing, and I didn't I didn't pick up on it watching that game. The the announcers were really railing on the Titans at the time for mm-hmm. mismanaging the end of the game and whatnot. But Vrabel, the substitution, the Jedi Master with the forcing the guy for the twelfth man rule to save the timeout, knowing they're going to score, saving time and saving that timeout to go back and get the game winning touchdown. And the then end. to have the Hollywood oh, aptitude oh. to deny it and act like it I was mean, a surprise. Academy was Award for being. <laughs> upset with the rest for calling it and you know yelling at his player i just i couldn't i couldn't imagine being a fly on the wall for that player coach conversation after the game having really had some milk toast coaches in tennessee in you know munchak in malarkey even saying their name sounds like something that you would find in your granola I, I, I really feel like it's just so exciting to have mike vrabel you know he's he's Belichick reborn, it feels like. He's doing these things that are sharp and smart and putting the team in a place to win. You guys you guys are both Titans fans. So I'll speak to this just from an outside observer. But when when that, that hire was made, I I didn't like it. I you know Houston Texan, you know, defensive line coach kind of pedigree. And uh just didn't didn't think that was gonna work. Um, you know, defensive coach didn't know what they were gonna be able to do on the offensive side of the ball, but um I think his toughness and physicality and everything he did learn from Belichick is 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 kind of culminating with he seems to be just a good dude that the players rally around as well. So when you have that that pedigree and can pull those players along with him and that belief at the end that they were going to pull that out, I mean, give us some other examples. I think we talked about it a week or two ago. Is is Vrabel the 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 best Belichick disciple that's had success now? I, I think we. You know, you talk about Cornell, and we talked about Josh McDaniels. Uh, there's, you know, there's really uh, Bill O'Brien and um, uh, now Patricia, Joe, yeah. Joe Judge and Patricia. So, I mean, Vrabel's, Vrabel's the only one that's had success coming off that Belichick coaching tree. Yeah, and, you know, uh, he, he was one of those coaches that I don't think that uh, people deserve – felt like he deserved the, mm-hmm. the, the opportunity. You know, defensive uh, coordinator at Ohio State, I believe, before mm-hmm. that. Um, but you know, did he actually work under Belichick at any time? No, just as a player. Yeah. yeah. So, so uh, he's kind of self-made in a sense. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess that doesn't count. Uh, just that doesn't count the Belichick well, coaching tree. And it seems Good like point, that Brad. that Titans pedigree is spinning off into its own thing. So you've got Matt Lafleur, who's successful, obviously in Green Bay, and now the name emerging mm-hmm. as the coach of an offensive coordinator position right now is Arthur Smith, the mm-hmm. Titans OC. It seems like he's going to get a head job. So th- this thing seems to be growing yeah. uh, in a way that is just making Titans fans uh, giddy. Uh, on the downside of, uh, of that team and of that game on Sunday, uh, offensive lineman, out- outspoken um, player and podcast host Taylor Lewan uh, out for the year with an ACL injury. Greg, as an offensive lineman, how does that how does that unit gel and, and move forward from here? It's a it's a big thing. It, it's a big thing to watch. Um, I, I I don't know what their depth is on the O line, but uh, a couple of teams that have been tested already. Uh, Dallas is a complete abomination on the offensive line. I mean, there's there's one returning one starter that was that penciled in to start, and he's the least um, the least 
famous of the uh, the Dallas Cowboy offensive lineman that was that was playing last night, and then the Kansas City Chiefs last night had to replace three offensive linemen. One one was uh, local uh, local high school player Daniel Kilgore getting another start at mm -hmm. center. Uh, they look great, and Clyde Edwards-Elaire has 160-something yards rushing last night with a patchwork backup offensive line. So uh, Kansas City was able to. Dallas has not been able to sustain that. So uh, Luan being out, um, interesting how they can how they can keep that that uh, especially the rushing game going. Oh, I was reading a little bit this morning, and it, it sounds like uh, you know people are kind of brushing off this injury and feeling like the Titans can o can overcome it somewhat. And I don't know if that's uh, the mindset and culture that uh, Vrabel's uh, mm -hmm. developed there in Tennessee, plus knowing you have the best back in football behind you. Uh, do you think, as a former offensive lineman, that next man up can come in and at least uh, perform a little bit and keep the momentum going? It's that left tackle position is, is tough. Line. You know, if, if you're talking an interior position, yes. Um, you know, um, Losing Coughlin, you know, as free agency as well. Mm -hmm. You know, they had to replace him going into this season. Uh, now Luan. So, um, again, I didn't, I didn't even notice in the chaos and excitement of that game who who filled in at left tackle and what his pedigree is. But, Sam Brillo, uh, I believe. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, left tackle position is uh, is the hardest in all of football to, you know, to to solidify. Well, that'll be interesting to watch. I mean, one of three remaining undefeated teams along with the Seahawks and the Steelers. They're going to play the Steelers this Sunday. Obviously, we'll, we'll have, uh, you know, we'll be down to two undefeateds after this week. Brad, it looks like they're evaluating, flexing that game to primetime. Are there benefits to that from a, t from a Titans perspective? I feel like we usually actually, uh, you know, have problems in primetime. Yeah, I, th I feel like uh, that, that 1 o'clock or 12 o'clock central spot is where we perform our best a lot of times. Uh, as a player, I mean, what do you guys think, having former college – or, excuse me, football experience? Uh, I, I always liked the primetime games myself. Um, you know, just I felt felt a little more juice and a little more energy there around those primetime games than, you know, than, than getting that, you know, especially those early noontime, 1 o'clock starts. I felt like a cocker spaniel. Like, I worked myself into a frenzy in the hours leading up to the game, so much that I would find myself yawning in warm-up sometimes <laughs> because I felt so t tuckered, you know, just from the whole day of, you know, you can only listen to the Black Album yep. so many times, yep. Greg, before, you, no get, before yep. you get psyched there. Uh, what about, Brad, are there any aspects of your life? Uh, to me, flex scheduling in the NFL is like my favorite thing. I, I feel like you always should have the flexibility to be able to say, this is the best product. This is the thing that we want to do right now. Let's put it in prime time. Are there any parts of your life that you would flex schedule if you had the choice? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, you know, I, I was thinking about this uh, analogy while we were talking about this switch up of time. And the only thing I can really think of uh, would be like the CrossFit Open. So mm -hmm. for, you, for you listeners that are watching, we have this five-week invitational where there's a workout announced and, uh, so anyway, we have uh, four days to perform it, and a lot of times I would watch everybody and wait to the last minute to perform this workout, but there also were times where I was just throwing myself in the fire and go ahead and get it done first thing Friday morning, and I, I don't know that there was ever any benefit by watching other people do it and getting more anxious Really? About it. Yeah. So, so you're so anti-flex scheduling. I you, am, you actually. Wanna, you want to keep it as, as prescribed. Yep. What about you, Greg? You, you got a flex play in there? I, you know, all I can relate it to outside of football is just the differences uh, at, at the speedway of 
you know, the, the spring race being a Sunday day afternoon and the night race being a Saturday night race uh, under the lights. Just the difference in the energy, the atmosphere, that big stage environment. That's mm-hmm. where I'm, 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 I'm flexed to prime time all the way. I like it. There's a couple of holidays I think I would flex, like some government holidays. Like, can I bank, you know, a couple and move them to, you know, my, my more popular Thanksgiving, you know, Christmas, Christmas time of year. But we're excited to see what that flex play looks like uh, this week. Greg, there's a couple other big stories in the NFL this week, including the emerging Chicago Bears. How are your Bears doing? So, still smoking mirrors. This, this not, this, <laughs> this not make any bones about it. But, uh, but actually put together a good, a good, uh, a good game last week. Um, play their defense is coming on. Um, Foles is 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 playing that game manager role. They just on offense just don't have the weapons. I think to be able to do this over the long haul, their schedule is going to get much much tougher. Um, you know, the only the only saving grace is outside of the Packers. Um, their division's not very strong, so they've you know banked. You know, let's say let's say ten wins. Mm-hmm. Ten wins will get you in the playoffs. They've banked half of them already. Um, so. Um, think playoff team but uh still don't still don't have a lot of faith in them uh their defense is is good again but not quite the level that it was you know two years ago uh, when they went on that 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 really good run and brad we talked last week about some possible dissension in the tampa bay buccaneers locker room but it looks like they've really righted the ship there i think there's an actual boat there in the stadium in tampa bay (laughs) it looks like they've righted that ship and seem to be on the right track again with brady and and i think that's a lot to do with the defense down in tampa Mm -hmm. you know really stepping up and uh somebody's got to stop aaron Rodgers. tom brady can't do it so (laughs) levante david and that whole defense played out of their minds Solid. Uh, i that seems to happen rogers has the tendency to be a little bit of a front runner, you know, when he's he's up ten to nothing out there doing the Hingle McCringleberry <laughs> yeah. touchdown celebration. He didn't from, do the third from, from Key and Peel. Yeah. Uh, you know, it looked like they were just rolling, and it was going to be typical. And I don't know if that was the curse of Hingle McCringleberry that got him, <laughs> but uh, I mean, he looked almost disgusted and disinterested. I mean, t- to the point they you know put in a backup without even trying to rally. So, how many times did you practice saying that name in the car on the way over here? Uh, seven, <laughs> seven, maybe seven, eight. That's pretty good. Uh, so obviously we got a we got a huge week uh, coming up again um, at the top of the marquee this week. Titan Steelers, obviously. Uh, Tampa Bay and Tom Brady are taking on the Oakland Raiders, which we also talked about, uh, who have moved to Las Vegas mm-hmm. and are no longer in Oakland. Uh, Greg, you see any other big matchups this, uh, this coming I mean, week? My Bears and Rams on Monday Night Football again. That's a prove it game. Um, Rams, uh, Rams took one on the chin to San Fran. Um, Sunday night, uh, Bears, another prove-it game for them. Um, I think, I think the other one that the other one that I'm looking to is the uh, is 49ers in New England. Mm-hmm. Uh, 49ers again riding the the ship a little bit, and uh, New England coming off two straight losses, seeing if they can can uh, can turn it back on post COVID and Cam getting some rust knocked off uh, last week. Brad, with the Seahawks and Cardinals in a Wild West matchup this week, who emerges as the Lord's quarterback out west? I got to stick with my boy. Kyler? Yeah. He, Love it. He was uh, running crazy last night on those Cowboys. What did what did what did Kyler Murray measure at the combine? I know that, that was a that was a point well, of 
it was he measured six foot. No way. No. But I'm taller than him. He's he's five seven tops. Exactly. But how does he see over the offensive line? I don't know. The team measurement says five ten, but there's no way. Yeah, he might he might be one of those five eight and a half. he looks so tiny out there, but he is so fast and quick and slippery. I mean, his, his, it's like one of those – his legs are moving, you know, twice as fast <laughs> as everybody else on the field. Yeah. And he's just over there just skirting around, and uh, he, he's, he's something to watch. That was impressive last the night. The meme is uh, Stewie, the kid from Family Guy, running at like 10 <laughs> steps to every one regular step as, as how Tyler Murray or Kyler Murray runs. Uh, Tyler's his kid brother. Um, we also, guys, uh, obviously going to be a great, a great big week in the NFL. Uh, excited to continue to watch that one. Uh, moving on to our college football matchups, the big week that we had last week. Uh, Greg, they played the Imperial March. Saban fought back COVID, and Alabama rolled over the dogs. What was your takeaway from that game? So um – I think there's there's four Heisman contenders on Alabama. <laughs> I mean, it's it just just more more horsemen than what Georgia had. Uh, I think our our boy Stetson Bennett the fourth, um, especially when he was trying to to rally at the end, doesn't doesn't quite have the uh, the quarterback pedigree to get that done against mm-hmm. uh, against all those studs at Alabama. Uh, Alabama's defense, you know, looking. Come, uh, looking a little more Saban-like than they did against uh, Joey Freshwater and the, the Ole Miss Rebs. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the offensive talent on Alabama is what jumped off the page at me. Um, le- legit, I mean, two, two legit Heisman candidates and then those two receivers that, you know, there's, there's four first-round draft choices probably off that. I'm offense. afraid Waddle will go for 300 yards next week against Tennessee. It, it's going to be ugly, I would say. Brad, we looked at some stats on that game, Saban has never lost to a former assistant. Saban has also not lost to the SEC East in nearly 30 games. Who wins first against this Alabama juggernaut? Okay, I was doing some homework this morning. So we've got five assistants that came from Saban in the SEC. we got three of those in the East. Of all those people – Kirby has the best chance, and obviously they mm-hmm. lost last week. I personally would love to see Lane Kiffin beat him, <laughs> just <laughs> yeah. because you could always see the tension on the mm-hmm. sidelines oh, between yeah. the two of them. Yeah, he had him uh, on the ropes. Yeah. yeah, Jeremy Pruitt is the last uh, <clears throat> assistant to get a chance this year, and then Kentucky is the last uh, team that Alabama will play. In the please, East please don't let it be Kentucky. In the East. Please, oh, don't. I so I guess please it's down don't. to us. But you know who. I think has the best chance and who I would like to see. Let's see. Yeah, I, I hope – I'm with you. I hope it's Jeremy Pruitt. You know, I, I think we've talked a little bit about this. Um, we'll get to it a little bit as we talked about Clemson. Um, but some of these coaches, you know, and the coaching decisions that they make, particularly in college, they are executives. They are figureheads. They are, you know, they're not always position gurus like we talk about Vrabel, Matt, Patricia, those that are, you know, very sound in what they do on their side of the ball – it seems like no matter what happens with Saban, no matter who he loses, if it's Jim McElwain, if it's, you know, I think Sarkeesian left and came back for a while, it, all of those changes seem to always have a net neutral effect on that football team. And I just, you know, it, it's what 
all other college teams seem to aspire to is that level of stability. Something like 15, 15 coordinators that he's lost and has, has been able to maintain that level of excellence. Here's, here's one point that I failed to make back in our, our Sports City uh, Misery Index from earlier in the show. <laughs> and this is, this, is, this is what takes the cake and, and, and completely birthday candles on top of the cake for the, uh, the, the Cleveland City. The Browns, at one point, <laughs> Belichick is the head coach. Saban is the D coordinator. Yeah. Arguably the best NFL coach, arguably one of, if not the best, uh, college head coaches. They're coaching your football team, and they were deemed not good enough to – And still couldn't get it done. <laughs> and I, I guess that's what scratches my head about the whole thing is that, you know, operationally – X's and O's wise, are there things that the program, the University of Alabama is doing as a college football program that could really be that different from everybody else that they're so well-placed? Or is it really just coming down to how they recruit the players? I, I think it, it's the talent. It's, it's Jimmy's and Joe's, not X's and O's. I mean, it's the, it's the old the, the adage there that was uh, – that was um, oh, what yeah, the reality football TV show that was on anyway um, – I've lost it. Um, Netflix. Hard Knocks. No. The other Last one. Chance You. Yes. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Good pull. <laughs> Impromptu uh, quiz here yes. on the huddle this afternoon. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the side topic. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's all hand in hand, but when you get that success going, the consistency, uh, the toughness, the mental attitude, and then you get, you get, you're able to get the recruiting spoils with that, it just all rolls down. And they here. never slow down. They always seem to just pull the, the biggest players nationally. Always top five in the recruiting classes. Yep. Uh, another top five team that, that played this week, uh, the University of Notre Dame played against Greg, your Louisville Cardinals. Great game, you know, for an objective watcher as that one came down to the wire, 12-7 win for Notre Dame. Uh, what was your takeaway there? You guys almost hung in. We are the best one-in-four team in the country. <laughs> I'll, I'll make that argument first and foremost. But uh, that game's always interesting for me. It's it's the third time that we've played uh, the Fighting Irish. I grew up a huge Notre Dame fan, uh, just absolute top fandom in the 80s and 90s during their run. My grandfather played basketball and a little bit of football there in the 30s. So uh, love, love the Irish. So – First time we played them in 14 up at South Bend, I was at that game. Uh, we got the victory, uh, played them tough last year uh, with absolutely no expectations. First game, uh, Memorial Day weekend, um, and Satterfield's first year. And then this year, uh, I had a good feeling going into that game, but a uh, couple of Notre Dame controlled the line of scrimmage. I mean, it was almost two to one, especially in the fourth quarter. They uh, converted on three consecutive third downs. Got the ball with seven minutes to go, and we never got the ball back uh, to try to make a, a, a run at the end. Uh, the, we, had, we had momentum there, actually uh, took the lead at 7-6. to six. Uh, Satterfield went for a controversial fourth down and got it. Mm -hmm. Got the touchdown, turned around, onside kick. Got the onside kick. Play under review without any flags, penalties, nothing on the field. Call got overturned. Uh, illegal block uh, before the ball went 10 yards. It was it was a perfectly executed onside kick, bounce, bounce. It took a high bounce as the player was making the block. Uh, again, penalty not called on the field, retroactive penalty. I didn't know you could um, do that. Could I, did, I didn't either. That. I mean, think of the slippery slope that leads to uh, plays under review. 
Uh, I didn't know. I really didn't know that was possible. Is that like that Tom Cruise movie where he's arresting people for crimes before <laughs> yeah. they've committed? Them? I, think, I think I think so. But uh, you know, certainly, you know, me being completely objective, that game on NBC in in uh, South Bend, it looked like uh, the the referee chips were against us. It was we had eight penalties, a uh, couple of backbreaking penalties. Uh, Notre Dame got their second penalty late in that game, so. Um, all that considered, the, the one positive that I'll take on that, um, highest-rated game of the weekend. Uh, nice. Wow. Notre Dame-Louisville got a 9.9 rating. The, the marquee matchup, uh, Georgia and Alabama got a 7. That's surprising. So, from, from a recruiting profile – um, you know, I'll take that. I'll take that as a positive with all those eyeballs. A lot of eyes on that one, Brad. There's some speculation that with teams opting out of playing this year, that a five-win football team may actually be bowl eligible, which could have implications for all of both of our fan bases mm-hmm. this year based on the wins. Do you think a a, a five-win team in this adjusted season uh, should be eligible for a bowl? Seems fair to me. I mean, uh, we're playing what three, two to three less regular season games, mm-hmm. so the numbers shake out for that to be the case. No cupcakes on the menu. Yeah, again, no we didn't we didn't talk about it, but Big Ten's back this coming weekend. That's uh, right. You know, so they here we're talking week six, week seven in college. Big Ten's just coming into that fold with the pack. The Pac-12 still another month away from from playing football. So. How these bold decisions and all that are going to shake out with number of games, and by the time they have to get these games played, um, uh, will be interesting to see how it shakes out. And, and I definitely can see some five-win teams. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and wild implications for the levels of rest and the injuries on teams that they accumulate through the season. I mean, you're going to have, like you said, a Pac, Pac-12 conference that's had you know 50 percent less time in the mm-hmm. in the competition trenches yeah, really. and uh, how many games is their season going to be seven i think seven okay. yeah so an abbreviated season for them too but obviously interesting impacts as we get towards the holidays for the bowl uh guys we're going to wrap up our college segment by talking just a little bit uh when i was growing up i grew up in a very uh sports indoctrinated household which informs Uh, my current obsession, I think. Uh, One of the books that was always in the house was called You Dropped It, You Picked It Up. You Pick It Up, a a recount of the 1916 Georgia Tech versus Cumberland football game, uh, which Georgia Tech won 220 to nothing. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had a joke in the the rundown before the show uh, that Clemson had a chance to beat an ACC team, Georgia Tech. They went on to win 73 to 7. But if they didn't pull Trevor Lawrence to call off the dogs there at Clemson, that thing could have gotten ugly. You think they could have got to that 220? I don't, I don't – 220. They could have definitely got gone over 100. But, uh, I mean, Lawrence got one series in the third quarter. They were they were putting in um, Hunter Helms, not Hunter Hurst Helmsley, not Triple H from WWE <laughs> fame, but, but Hunter Helms threw two touchdown passes in the second half. They went and played their punter at quarterback in the fourth quarter. <laughs> Of that game, and and still went up to put went on to put seventy three points on the board. Yeah, and we're talking about a, a lot better uh, team than probably the the player level that we had with Cumberland exactly in, in nineteen sixteen. <laughs> um, Where is Cumberland? Uh, I don't know, uh, but it's uh, in Kentucky, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, okay. One of the yeah. most impressive things about that is the fact that you've got a Georgia Tech team that's known for running the ball, so they sh- should have, in theory, been chewing up a lot of clock. 
Here, here's here a little bit of research. Um, the last team, that's always the famous one, the, the Georgia Tech Cumberland score. The last team in the modern era to score 100 points in a game uh, was the Houston Cougars versus Tulsa. Uh, went, o- went to score over 100 points in 1968. Wow. So, I mean, I, I – they scored 73 without even trying. And Is there any point to doing it these days? I mean, I guess if it's in a rivalry game, like if we could beat Kentucky by 100, you know, I, I'd do it. Let's but do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, the, the uh, one other nugget, uh, local, bringing it back to the, the local uh, level. Uh, so, again, that, that, uh, that Georgia Tech Kremlin score of 222 to nothing. King College in Tennessee and Bristol. Second highest score ever. King College put up 206 points versus Lenore in 1922. Wow. I didn't, when, when, did, when did King College <laughs> do away with their football program? They had an air raid yeah, in the 20s. I guess. In the 20s I guess. That we didn't they even might know have about. played uh, defense back yeah. in the early 1900s. I guess not. I well, mean, did you they think even have the forward pass then? Uh, that came about with, you know, really Newt Rockney and those Notre Dame teams was really when that kind of became – more you know more popular to run but uh, it was always the you run the ball three things can happen and two of them are bad yeah so um, it was just the derrick henry show i guess back then just running yeah their rosters night. weren't very big it was you know it was they were playing both ways and it's just if you had the dudes you rolled into town and you didn't have backups you know to, to be able to call off the dogs yeah that's that's it exactly well guys that's uh that's it for our college segment this week uh, you know, again, we're going to see some great matchups coming this week, uh, just right in the middle of an awesome football season, uh, talking all the time about how much we've enjoyed uh, having those sports back and, and being able to watch them. Uh, Greg, hit us with your yeoman for this week. Let's talk about who's been in the trenches doing work. So I, I had three three nominees this week. <laughs> I'll, go with, I'll go with one. I kind of hit on some Kansas City uh, offensive line earlier in the show, so I'll skip over that one. Um, interesting, and it, it always comes back to Louisville, right? Always comes back to Louisville. So I don't know if you saw the Jags, their kicking woes. Mm-hmm. So John Brown went in to kick, uh, kick the was the field goal kicker for the Jaguars this past week. So John Brown, give me, give you some backstory. Soccer player at UK went and transferred to Louisville uh, for his his fifth season. Uh, we had a, a solid kicker there, so he was more of a kickoff specialist. Uh, applied for a sixth uh, year. He got hurt in that year. Applied for a sixth year medical redshirt, was denied. So without any any real game film, had to go try to make an NFL roster in 2016. Was with the Bengals. Kicked a, 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 actually kicked a 55-yarder in preseason. Didn't make the team. Has bounced around uh, in the last four years. The Jags selected him as uh, off the street to be their kicker. First time <laughs> that in the NFL history that there has been uh, uh, somebody's made a field goal that has not made one in college or the pros. Uh, so John Brown, cool this story. this That's week's incredible. yeoman. Um, so we'll see what his career, if he can make something out of nothing. But just the grind and, and uh, everything that he's gone through to, to be able to make an NFL roster. Uh, this week's yeoman never give up that's a pretty awesome story brad hit me with your peak performer this week i think this is a no-brainer we're going with uh, king henry this week almost 300 yards against those texans uh putting himself in the mvp conversation so something i heard on the drive here 
Derrick Henry on that 94-yard run, his top speed was faster than Lamar Jackson had a, like a 40-yard run there in that Ravens game. Derrick Henry was clocked faster than Lamar Jackson on that run. What was that top speed? Do you know? 21.6 yeah, something like that. Hour, yeah, I think. Crazy. And, you know, I, I think as you're looking at this team right now, that you just find so many different things to like. But for Henry specifically – I think he is an offensive lineman personality inside a running back's body. He doesn't like to talk trash. He doesn't like to get on social media and whine about carries. He just goes to work every day. I, I love it. I mean, I hope they, you know, continue that success. That's an awesome peak performer. Uh, guys, we're going to wrap up our show from the awesome Market Street Bunker here. Uh, we're going to do a flex shout-out to C.S. McCullough's, the, uh, the local business here behind us. Uh, if you want, it smells like fine sandalwood and eucalyptus in here. Uh, 66% of this podcast is follically challenged, but uh, <laughs> if I were to get a haircut that didn't take place in my own bathroom, it would uh, it would absolutely be here. So, guys, thanks for tuning into the huddle, and uh, we'll see you next week for a special Halloween show.